0: Hello, Landing Page Optimization listeners. This is your host, Tim Ash. Next time you browse through iTunes or the Google Play Store on your smartphone, make sure to land on and download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app. Listen to new episodes of LPO every Monday or catch up on all the interviews featuring me speaking with the best and brightest conversion thought leaders of today. Download the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile apps in the iTunes Store or via Google Play today. And this week, my guest is Pamela Pavlicek. She is the founder of Change Sciences. And uh, welcome to the show, Pamela.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Tim. It's great to be here. Yeah,
0: it's my pleasure. Uh, So, for the the folks in the audience that aren't familiar with your company, tell us a little bit about what you guys do.
2: We do user research and strategy, so we are spending a lot of time observing and talking to people as they use websites and mobile apps, and we learn a lot that way. We also do a lot of competitive work, too, where we're looking not just at one site, but at many sites together to see what we can learn.
0: Okay, so let's talk about it. So it sounds like there's two methodologies. Uh, you know, one one, I think often underutilized tactic is to just see what your competitors do. Uh, Now, I want to preface that by saying that uh, I think a real competitive advantage these days in conversion rate optimization is everything that happens behind the scenes, all the communications you do, um, third-party data, pen, your email sequences and follow-up stuff. But the visible portion, the part above the waterline, what can you learn from your competitors?
2: Well, it's interesting because we don't want to copy competitors because that seems, you know, not very effective. They may have different strategies, different audiences, but we. Let
0: let, let, let me take a guess. Just sorry to break it on you, but so uh, I'm guessing that if every time you heard, "Well, Amazon does it that way," and you got a nickel for it, you'd be retired right now, and we wouldn't be talking. Is that true?
2: Oh, totally. Everybody (laughs) wants
0: to copy Amazon as if that's some kind of gold standard.
2: Yeah. And, you know, the thing is that ultimately, I mean, we run a lot of tests and Amazon has its its share of problems, too. But it's got familiarity and it's got brand, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so that gives it an advantage. But certainly you don't want to make that your strategy is copying Amazon or copying your direct competitors. But there are other interesting ways to look at competitors to help your conversion. One thing we do is look at upstream competitors. So we look at your analytics data and see, well, where are people coming from and how is that setting their expectations? Because that's something we've noticed in our smaller lab-based studies is that people make those kind of direct comparisons if they're in the same session and they're looking at one site and then they jump to another one. Okay, so, so you're talking is, about
0: a context, kind of what, context. what what have they seen already that's pre-biasing their experience on your site.
2: That's right. And some for certain sites they have competitors that it's significant for. So we worked with a large um, video um, music video company and most of their um, customers are coming from YouTube first and then coming in. And so they have certain expectations about how videos are recommended and how they play. And so we were able to kind of take a deep dive into that and leverage what are the expectations that we really should pay attention to that are impacting engagement and um, what are the bad things that we shouldn't be doing, and we shouldn't right, be right. copying, right? So that's so. One so
0: step. you know, it might be the 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 shape and the size of the video player. In that case, uh, the position of the play and pause button. You know, you don't want to if they're coming. You don't want them to learn a whole new user interface.
2: Absolutely. every time they
0: change websites, right?
2: Right, and a big issue there was. What else are they recommending? Because that's a thing that people love about YouTube and that they really use and that keeps them on the site and keeps them engaged. And so that was something that was a big takeaway for that particular project. So that's one thing we learn about is context. Sometimes we do look at direct competitors, though, too. We have a lot of financial services clients and what they're interested in is not just a checklist of, like, features and, you know, what can we, you know, what's the latest, greatest thing. They're interested in that, too, but we don't do that. Um, they're interested in, you know, what, <laughs> what can we do that um, will, will set us apart and will differentiate us. And so we're looking at things because people are making those comparisons. You move to a new city and you're checking out, you know, three different banks. To figure out, well, what is, what is the difference? What am I going to get? And it's not all just price. It's tone. It's how it's presented, how credible the site is. And so there's a lot of factors there that impact conversion that you can benefit from seeing what people do on competitors too, and looking at that in, in that kind of context.
0: Okay, well, let's let's talk about a few specifics. So, what are some things you've gleaned from competitor research that uh, you know you can you can recommend to clients? And is it okay to kind of uh, build, cover up your weaknesses with strengths? In other words, copy directly, lift some portions of their user experience.
2: Well, I'll dr- I'll address the last part first. I think the that copying part sometimes comes into play when it comes to nomenclature on the site. So certain words that your competitor is using that um, just resonate with um, customers or potential customers are set expectations. And so if you're using, say, a branded product name, and all your competitors are using simply what the product is called, like a checking account. Um, you know, you are going to benefit from from copying and following. Okay,
0: so, so so yeah, a lot of times, you know, we're assuming that people are not only familiar with our company brand, but also our whole product line. And the, you know, you know, it's the Xfinity Sports Pack. Oh, you know what? You know, I, I have no idea what that is. <laughs> if you say that's the cable package with sports, then I get it, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, certainly um, clients can benefit from that and brands can benefit from that. But where copying can go wrong is, you know, (laughs) lifting a certain tone from a competitor or a same kind of look so that it looks too cookie-cutter, because people are really onto that. I mean, they have their their BS meter is set to high when they're looking at sites, especially certain types of sites, like financial services, but even on other sites that we do a lot of work with, like entertainment, people are, you know, they don't want it to look cookie-cutter. They want it to represent who they want to be, you know, and so I think that's the hard thing to do, and if you're going to... Just lift that that style and tone from your competitors. You're okay, well, wait. wait, wait. So, but I want to
0: make a, I want to tease out a, 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 the, the distinction that's meaningful for me, which is that okay. yeah, I'm not talking about style and tone. So, what color mm-hmm. theme you use, uh, or even your messaging, you know, might be. Um, different, but I'm talking about kind of the core of the actual kind of functionality. How many steps is your registration process broken up into, or uh, what's your business model? Should you ask for credit card up front? I'm just giving some examples, but I mean, does it make sense to really look at it more than from just a web experience to deeper, uh, you know, what is the business purpose, I guess?
2: Right. Well, I think that's that's true. I mean, you do want to look at that, and you want to, some extent, follow convention, right? Because that's familiar. There's really nothing on the web that's intuitive per se, right? We're all learning it on other sites as we go along. So there's, a, to a certain degree, you want to follow convention, and that's what you'll see when you're looking at competitors But then you'll also see opportunities to streamline or make the language clearer or, um, you know, take out a step that people think is intrusive or confusing or unnecessary. Or change the
0: order of steps.
2: Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you know,
0: it's funny. You talk about convention and the power of it. I I studied at UC San Diego. I'm going to date myself in the 80s with uh, Don Norman, who's now I'm very happy to say is back here in San Diego. Um, and, and leading the design practice, but uh, he's the guy that literally wrote the book on user-centered design. And what he said about convention was that it's not written on stone tablets and brought down from Mount Sinai, but it's a group of people that have agreed to a certain set of behaviors. So it's kind of like a shortcut um, and uh, you can do it via assumptions or on autopilot and you don't have to think. And that's the the advantage of it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And we see that all the time. It's There are certain conventions and they change and shift over time. One thing we've been tracking over the past year is the hamburger menu on mobile. About a year ago, I would say maybe 10% of people knew what it was um, or even thought to look there. And gradually we've seen that number go up where people are getting more familiar with it. It's still not Great.
0: Okay, so maybe I'm, I know it under another name, but the uh, hamburger menu. I'm thinking McDonald's, but I'm probably not what you meant.
2: <laughs> it is lunchtime, I guess, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
2: But yeah, it's the menu with the three bars off. Okay, the,
0: so so top. yeah, the kind of the the settings menu in the upper right.
2: That's guess, right. Okay, okay so all right, got ago, it. People didn't even know what that was. Now they really are getting it. You if know. they can't
0: find what they need, they'll they'll go there as the default kind of keep looking deeper.
2: Yeah, they're they're starting to figure that out. So and and that's the thing about conventions on the web or mobile is that they're good and they can come in handy, but you also need to track it because it changes over time too.
0: Okay, well, that that I think is a perfect place to pause. We're going to take a couple of minutes from a word from our wonderful sponsors, and we'll be right back.
1: More LPO, landing page optimization, in just a moment.
4: Unlimited users for no additional cost and white labeling can help keep your clients updated and save countless hours of creating reports. Whether you're running sites with just a few or millions of keywords, what you need is AuthorityLabs.com.
1: Affiliate marketing is changing rapidly. The balance of power is shifting and in some cases, affiliates are growing larger than the brands they represent. Stay ahead of this and other trends with the Affiliate Marketing Insider on demand anytime inside the affiliate marketing channel only on webmasterradio.fm welcome back to lpo landing page optimization only on webmasterradio.fm here's tim ash
0: and we're back this is your host tim ash with lpo landing page optimization this week my guest is pamela pavlicek the founder of Change Sciences, and we've been talking usability. Now, Pam, uh, before the break, we were talking about what you can learn from your competitors. Uh, but, uh, of course, usability in it has the word use, which is associated with the word user. What can you actually learn from your prospects or, or clients or people visiting your website or, or mobile experience? What, what's, what are keys to really teasing out conversion improvements from observation of your visitors?
2: Well, I think that there's a lot that you can do there, but what we've found is often the starting point is you get some kind of clue from your analytics that something is off and it needs further exploration. And so that's what we end up doing a lot of is kind of a deep dive into that. Well, okay, we see people dropping off at this point why? Why is that? Let's observe what people actually do. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. You can do that in person. You can do that in line. You can do that. um, There's a variety of different tools that that we can use to do that. But you have to kind of take a, a look to see, like, is that you know, what's really happening there? Why is that happening? They're spending more time on the site. Is that good time? Is that bad time? And so- are Are
0: they spending time because they're confused or because they're just love it so much and they're deeply engaged, right?
2: Absolutely. And there are clues you can get from analytics to kind of give you a little bit more information about that. But without direct observation or talking to people, there's still some gaps. And so that really- you know, gets you, I think, the final mile, basically, of where you okay. want to go.
0: Well, my uh, my friend Steve Krug, who's keynoted in the past, of course, at Conversion Conference and is the author of um, Don't Make Me Think and uh, Rocket Surgery Made Easy. Uh, so one of the things he's a big fan of is informal usability testing. Um, one question I had for you, let's, let's talk about the different ways you can, like you said, observe people, because uh, the sense I get is the closer it is to in the wild, if, as it were, the, the more valid it is. As soon as you have that talk out loud protocol during a task, uh, people click in their rationalizing kind of uh, you know, conscious mind and they just make stuff up. It's not really why they do what they do. And it right. also bra- breaks the speed at which they, they navigate websites.
2: That's absolutely true. So we do a ton of online work so we can actually give people a task see what they do, record everything, and then ask them some follow-up questions afterwards. Now, I'm not saying it's not a good idea to go into the lab or interview people wherever they're using the app because we do that all the time too and we can get really great in-depth information, but you just have to keep in mind that That you're observing as well as listening, and so sometimes people will say one thing and they'll do something else completely, and this happens all the time when we're talking to people where they've struggled for you know 20 minutes (laughs) to negotiate a new mobile app, and then they'll say, "Oh well, this was pretty easy," or (laughs) you know, (laughs)
0: because they're trying to make you as the interviewer, (laughs) yeah, because you you know they're trying to make you as the interviewer feel good. You're in the room. And uh, there's some social etiquette we still need to observe, and they're probably getting paid to to do that, right? So uh, for all those reasons, they're kind of trying to make nicey-nice at the end, right, when they've actually had a horrible experience on the website.
2: (laughs) So you have to filter that out, you know. And sometimes clients like to hear that, like, oh, well, they said it was easy. I'm like, wait a second what did we actually see happen in that session? Let's focus on on that piece of it. And so, you know, you can get a lot of good information that way, but you just have to keep in mind that, you know, there's a level of bias that's introduced when you're talking to people. Um, and that's if, if they know
0: they're being, well, there's three levels. There's one if, if, if you're interacting with them, if you're in the room and observing them. And, but there's a third category, which is if they don't even know they're being observed. So when you do session recording on websites with uh, software like ClickTail or, or something like that, you know, they're in effect being true because they showed up for whatever reason they showed up. Yep. And uh, they're doing whatever they're going to do. The, the only disadvantage of that is you don't know the why they failed. But you can definitely see, like replay all the sessions of people that abandoned in this step in my registration process and let's see if we can find some common behavior fumbling around, right?
2: Absolutely. And a lot of times you can take that information and marry it with some kind of follow-up. Um, you know, questionnaire right on the site, and and get a little bit of that why. Um, you know, sometimes it does require a deeper dive, but I love tools like that that just let you kind of give you an, a window into you know the world of the user.
0: Yeah, and so what you can do, what you're saying is, uh, if you're doing that as part of a usability session, you you give them a task, you let them complete it, and like you said, then you interview them about it to glean additional info, but you don't break their flow. Uh, that's right. In the middle of it. That's, that's, I think that's really important from my perspective. Would you agree with that?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because otherwise you're you're interfering with what's really going to happen. So it's kind of like the Heisenberg principle, right? You don't want to yeah. alter the future. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> By by observing it and interacting with it, yeah. That's
2: right.
0: Yeah, so I think that uh, it's, it's, uh, when, one other aspect of this that I think is important, and that is uh, – the time sensitivity of the task. When you actually look at user session recordings, they're a few seconds to maybe a minute or two long. And yet routinely when we do these kind of talk out loud protocols, you know, they're spending five, ten minutes doing the same task. So one of the things when we do even user testing uh, which is the uh, recording somebody's session, but they talk out loud. We ask them to do the task and then, like you say, to explain some things after. But we even time limit the task. You have a minute and a half to do this, tops.
2: Yeah, it's but- a good idea because that even a minute is longer than what most people spend. And so, you know, I mean, an aspect of user testing is – you know, slow motion in a way, right? Because you're slowing everything down. But if you want to get a real sense of of the time and what they would do on their own, coming into it with whatever, um, you know, familiarity they have. I mean, sometimes people come into sites. This is another thing that happens in user testing. They come into sites cold. They're just, they jumped off from another site and they're there. Sometimes they come to an app with a, you know, after reading a description in an app store, You have to kind of be prepared for all of those, and it really helps to, if you're doing testing, to test those different scenarios because it has a big impact on what they actually end up doing.
0: Yeah, but the point is that in a world of infinite information, as I often like to say, you know, we have the attention span of a lit match. They're not going to deeply care. I mean, if you gave them a task that, (laughs) okay, look at this product grid on zappos.com, find the cheapest pair of red shoes or I will kill you, that'll be a very different kind of (laughs) deliberation to that task, wouldn't you agree?
2: I never threaten people in sessions.
0: (laughs) 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 okay all right well i didn't say that was your methodology it's mine no uh no but but i just mean that most of us are like butterflies flitting around and our attention doesn't really settle on much of anything unless it's it's really you know i'm researching a cure for my mom's cancer kind of stuff you know we're not going to pay attention
2: so so true and i think that's the impulse if it's your own site or app um or it's a concept that you're developing is that you want to give people all this background and all this prep um, so that they'll understand it. But in fact, in real life, they're probably not going to come to it with, with that kind of knowledge, <laughs> Before.
0: Yeah, and, and then not only the context or the knowledge, but basically the way I describe it is if you're going to do uh, – well, the USA Today, I think, is r- written for a fifth-grade reading level very deliberately because they know you're going to skim it. right. So the same way, regardless of your – almost regardless of your specific application, if you just kind of assume that people are lazy, stupid, and don't care when they show up to your site, you are probably have just about the right mindset. Do you think I'm being <laughs> unfair or does that sound close?
2: Well, it's close. You know, people are busy. Their lives don't revolve around you and your website. You know, they are, they're exploring a lot of different ideas. And so, yeah, it's, it's quick, you know, they don't, and they don't give it much thought, you know.
0: Yeah, well, that's, uh, so, boy, then time passes quickly. Speaking of, we're up on our, on our final commercial break here. Um, and uh, after we come back, I want to, explore your predisposition to studying to be a career in Russian (laughs) spycraft.
2: Sounds good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And we'll be back in a couple of minutes after a word from our sponsors. More
1: LPO landing page optimization in just a moment.
3: Webmasterradio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free after the free 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here.
1: advance your affiliate marketing efforts every week on Affiliate Buzz. Our hosts, James and Arlene Martell, are here to inspire, inform, and motivate you with expert insight, interviews, and information that will increase your bottom line. Affiliate Buzz. On demand, anytime inside the Affiliate Marketing Channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Welcome back to LPO, Landing Page Optimization, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's Tim
0: Ash. And we're back. This is your host, Tim Ash, for LPO, Landing Page Optimization. With me this week is uh, Pamela Pavlicek, who at one point entertained the thought of studying for the Foreign Service, studying Russian, living there, and being a spy. It's like the, the, uh, the show The Americans or something like that. <laughs>
2: I don't know. I guess, you know, the whole idea was intriguing to me. And so I studied Russian and I, I went there and then I talked to the CIA recruiter and started going <laughs> through that process. Wow, you're not kidding. was back in the early 90s and uh, realized that being a spy isn't like, you know, James Bond James or something Bond? like that. <laughs> It's more like transcribing conversations and measuring bridges and things like that. And so i I kind of bailed out of that.
0: So just trajectory. too boring for you, basically. Being a spy was too boring. Let's it
2: was well, I,
0: besides, why would you want to live in Russia?
2: Uh, well, it's it's not an easy place to live, especially back then in the 90s. I mean, I always joke that it's the one country where restaurants close for lunch.
0: <laughs> no, the reason I can say that with all all due respect is because I was born there and we emigrated yeah. to the U.S. So, um,
2: <laughs> my Russian is. Pretty bad right now, but I can understand what you said.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's good. That's a good sign. I mean, I've only been back four times in forty years, so that's my excuse. Oh, wow, um, that's
2: a, that's amazing. <laughs>
0: uh, well, okay. So back to to this side of the pond. it mean, this all reminds me of that scene from Goodwill Hunting where the NSA recruiter is asking him why he shouldn't join the NSA. And it goes off <laughs> on this wonderful long monologue that's just it's precious. Look it up. Goodwill hunting NSA.
2: Okay, I well. And then um, Pamela and Tim were taken away they disappeared suddenly oh, yeah.
0: no that's right i'm sure because the fact that we said nsa on a podcast now has us on a watch list somewhere deep in the bowels of the pentagon
2: i'm uh, sure
0: <laughs> sorry pamela i've dragged killed by association you're dragging
2: my- me down tim <laughs>
0: Um, all right, so, so if you had some some tips, okay, let's say most people aren't going to, I mean, hopefully they will hire your company if they have the need sure. and the appropriate scale, uh, but let's say they're trying to do this on their own. Can you give us some quick tips for how to specifically, most quickly you know, improve conversion rate by using some usability tactics? What should we be doing on the cheap and, and on the quick?
2: Yeah, well, I think the first thing to do is to, Look start with your analytics and look for the pain points there. And if you can see who the more of the context, that will give you a good clue of what to what to focus on and what to do. Um and you know, try to get feedback on your site if you identify a, a problem. Get people, observe people actually interacting with it to see if you can identify and fine-tune the problems. I mean, there's a lot of specific sort of you know quick tips that you can that you can use to look at conventions across the board and follow best practices um, but without getting a read on your users, I think you'll be missing part of the picture okay,
0: so let me just kind of say that in in my own you know kind of uh, slowed down version which is that, First, you have to figure out where the problems are, and that's where the analytics come in. What are your high bounce pages or form, incomplete form rates, you know, uh, low conversion rates to cart, that sort of thing. And then you need to actually talk to people or observe them to figure out the why. So there's the where and the why. Is that a good way to think about it?
2: That is a great way to think about it.
0: Okay, and then again, we've discussed different you know, methods or drawbacks or ways of observing people uh, as close to their natural state as possible, and some of the pros and cons. But um, so, but is one question I have for you, and this is a debate I've had w- with Jim Stern, who runs the eMetrics conference, a parallel to our conversion conference, uh, is I, I said to him that you know basically analytics is like looking driving sixty miles an hour while looking in the rearview mirror. I mean, a lot of the problems are with your current site experience. And if you fix them, then your metrics change. And again, maybe your whole business model changes or how you chunk uh, your interactions with clients and what you ask them to do on your website. So uh, is it sometimes uh, right to just kind of bring in the bulldozer and create a completely different user experience instead of tweaking one?
2: Well, that's a good point because I think you know analytics are – backwards facing, right? They're they're telling you what happened in the past. It could be quite the recent past, but it's still in the past. And you can make some improvements by tweaking it, but the big innovations sometimes do come from that, you know, research where you're actually observing and talking to people because you'll see a pain point that you hadn't seen before, or you'll see a new problem crop up that you can solve for them, so I think that is where um, you know kind of research can go in tandem with analytics and, and drive innovation.
0: Yeah, and I guess what I'm saying is sometimes you have to be, once you go down the rabbit hole, you may not come out or you pull that thread <laughs> and it all unravels. I mean, it might say, oh, you know what? The expectation of, it's not the order we ask them stuff, it's the fact that the credit card is required and we have to change our whole business model to maybe go to something that doesn't involve that, for example. Uh, it might lead to those kind of insights.
2: That's completely true and we've seen that, you know, time and time again where, you don't really need a small tweak. It's really the concept overall or the business model or it's not solving a problem that people have or it's solving it in a way that they didn't expect and maybe don't Or work. Or
0: imposing too high a cost on them in terms of time and attention to solve a problem that's not that big in their minds.
2: That's absolutely right, and that's a common trap to fall into because we're obsessed with our own sites and apps, and we think it's really important, and it's really easy to lose sight of kind of that bigger picture and how real people are going to approach it.
0: Well, unfortunately, we're up against our time. I know we could keep talking for hours, and maybe we'll have you back to explore some of this some more. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show, Pamela. I really appreciate it.
2: Thanks so much, Tim. It was a lot of fun. You're great.
0: And and then for those of you, thank you. Uh, For those of you coming to our final conversion conference in the U.S. for 2014, that's June 17th and 18th in Chicago. And for our loyal listeners, use promo code WMFM to save $100 on that. And then we're going to reset for our big annual show in the U.S. starting in Las Vegas in the spring of 2015. So stay tuned for announcements about that. And loyal listeners, we will see you on the flip side.